Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. I do not know if there is an upside to have, having COVID, but if there is, it was being able to lay down and not move not even having enough energy to barely control the remote control to stream. That's the only positive that I have been able to figure out as a result of being sick, is that I was able to stream on Netflix and on Hulu and on Amazon and catch up on a lot of the shows that I have been wanting to see. And I want to tell you about a new one, about a really good one, about one that that was incredible. The show is about a king and he's very wealthy and he's very powerful. Unbelievable. He has a son and his son grows jealous of all that his father has. He grows jealous of his son's, of his father's power and his wealth And so he goes out into the kingdom, he goes out to the villages, and he begins to develop favor with the leaders of these different villages. He wants to earn their favor, he wants to earn their appreciation, and so he goes out of his way to become popular with them. Well, as the show develops as the show unfolds the king begins to realize that his son has not only won the appreciation of the village leaders but that he is raising up an army in revolt in rebellion to the king and that he poses a great threat to his power and to his might and so the king is so fearful that he has to leave his palace that he has to escape. Now, if you're tracking with me, you've realized at this point that this is not a new show on Netflix, that this is not something that you can go add to your watch list, that this is King David, and that this is his son Absalom, that you've picked up on the details of the story. The son wants to usurp the father. The son is not respectful of who his dad is as the Davidic king who has been placed on the throne on the holy hill by our father in heaven. He wants to turn everything upside down. This is the story that I have described to you. And so when we come to Psalm 3 today, when we come to this text, this is David crying out to the Lord who is fleeing from his very own son. And we're going to see in this passage that the troubles and the fears and that the anguish that David experiences will resonate with us and resonate in our hearts as well. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Use your word this morning to awaken us, to draw us near to your throne, to help us to understand your power 
and your might and your glory and your love. Father, use your word through the work of the Holy Spirit to change us. Mold us and shape us to look more like our King Jesus. And may we leave this place this morning excited about you and your kingdom so much so that it radiates from our souls. Father, forgive the one who speaks for my sins are great. Amen. So we have come to Psalm 3 as we have talked about in the previous weeks. Psalm 1 and 2 serve as an introduction for the entirety of the Psalms. And really you can make the argument that 1 and 2 are one piece of literature. And so we saw two very important things as we looked at the first chapter and the second chapter. We saw that the Lord cares for his people and his word is life. God cares for his people and his word is life. That's chapter 1 verses 2 and 6. Then in the second psalm, we see that Israel and the nations are called to submit to God's royal son who rules from the holy hill that is called Zion. Israel and the nations are called to submit to God's royal son. The word of the Lord tells us that this Davidic son who will rule forever, that the nations are his inheritance. And because David belongs in the family line of Jesus, God is telling David, through this covenant I am establishing with you and your family, I am going to bring the world to myself. So one and two start off with big, grand pronouncements. It sets the stage. This is who our God is, and this is what our God does for His people. And then what do we see in Psalm 3? Immediately, trouble, problems, and struggle. Now, if we know anything about Scripture, we know that humanity is fallen that sin has entered the world, and as a result of that, God's people experience the difficulties and the trials and the problems of this life. So God has made grand pronouncements for King David and his sons. This is the hymnal for the nation of Israel. This is what you are to sing to your God who rules and then immediately in chapter 3, we experience the anguish, which is true to life. David is being pursued by his own son who wants to kill him, who wants to remove him the th from the throne, and who wants to be king. Yes, it sounds like an episode on Netflix, but it's not. It's the story of Scripture. It's... The message of redemption. And so David is calling out to the Lord. He feels oppression. He wants God to save him. His troubles are many. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? They are rising up against me. And what are they saying to David? This great king that God has established his covenant with. What are they saying to him? Well, maybe, maybe there's no salvation for you. Maybe this is all an illusion. 
Maybe kingship does belong to your son and not to you. You have sinned after all. And when we come to this passage, when we see this passage, we resonate with David. Now, we don't have an army of people pursuing us. I actually cannot name any enemies that I have. I can't think of anybody that's really my enemy. But when I look at this passage, I do realize that troubles and anxiety and issues are rising up around me. Because I live in a fallen world. And life is a struggle. And so you come to this place this morning. You come into the presence of the Lord. And you take your seat. And you are troubled people. You have issues within your own marriage. You have issues within your own family. You have problems at work. You have things that have not worked out that you desire. You turn on the television, you get on the internet, and you see the, the nation and the problems of our society. And sometimes, honestly, it's just too much and you just want to wash your hands of it. Difficulties surround us. This is who we are as people who live after the fall. It's not fair, you would say to yourself. And so we can resonate, we can understand David as he cries out to God. And as these problems drown us, we should cry out as well. Because He is our Lord, and He hears us. Does God really love me? Does He really care for me? Is God really there? That is like David's opponent saying, there is no salvation for you and God. When we think about our troubles and anxieties and struggles and issues, we can very easily say in our heart of hearts, yeah, does He love me? Does he care for me? Is he, is he really there? But let's look at David's response in verse 3. David's response that should be our response. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the glorious one. And I love this. This should be a, a bumper sticker. And the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill from Zion. Shield. God is our shield. Now in the Greek, excuse me, in the Hebrew, the shield is a small shield. This is not those full body shields that the ancient Romans would build a wall with and they would attack their enemy. This is a very small one that you use to fight a single adversary, to fend him off. But notice in the text, what it's, what it's the inference of this shield is that it's not one that's guarding me, that it is all around me. That that is who God is for his people. He is a shield 
that protects us and surrounds us and delivers us. David knows this as the Davidic king, as the man after God's own heart. In this time of oppression, he calls out to the Lord and he says, protect me, you are a shield who surrounds me. Most of you know we went skiing over spring break and we went to Big Sky, Montana and we went to the top of this one hill and to get to the top, you have to ride the six-shooter. It's a great name, the six-shooter. It is the fastest ski lift in North America. Now, I had not been skiing in many, many years. And the ski resort that we went to was not as nice as Big Sky. And I remember that it had the type of lifts where you cling to the pole and you hope that you don't fall to your death. Not the six-shooter. When it comes and it picks you up, because it is so high up in the air and so fast, you are encapsulated. That this cover comes and shields you. You cannot fall out. And because it's going so fast, the snow cannot hit you. And guess what? The six-shooter has heated seats. So it is unbelievable. You sit down... You're warm, you're protected from the snow, you're protected from the sleet, you can't fall out. And as someone who's not crazy about heights, I really appreciated that part of the six-shooter. And then it takes off like a spaceship to the top of the mountain. In fact, I honestly liked riding the six-shooter more than I did skiing, just to be completely honest with all of you. But as I was reading through our passage and thinking about a shield all around me, my mind just kept going back to the six-shooter. The six Warm, protected, safe, can't fall, won't freeze, won't be stung by the sleet. That's what it means for God to be your shield. He has you. He is surrounding you. He is protecting you. He is keeping you warm. David says that God is not only his shield, that he is the glorious one. What a wonderful phrase in the Hebrew. The glorious one. You are so far greater than me. You are worthy of my trust. You are worthy of my fears and my anxieties and my problems. Take my heart, O Lord, the glorious one. And he also says, you are the lifter of my head. Don't be downcast. Don't let your head hang down. God lifts you up. He longs to look into the face of His children because you belong to Him. You are perfectly safe with Him. So between my daughter being at camp and me being quarantined with COVID and at General Assembly, I have not seen Avery in over two weeks. And so she sent me a picture the other day from camp. It's a really cute picture of her. And I put it on my phone. And I just keep looking at 
Because my love for her is probably more than she even fully understands. And I long to see her face. You see, God is not only our shield, He is not only the glorious one, He is the one that lifts up our head. He longs to see the face of His children. That is who our God is. And amidst the troubles that you are facing in this life, He is lifting up your chin to see you and to radiate His love upon you. David understood this, and I hope you do as well. Think about Revelation chapter 14, verses 1. Think about the descendant of David on the holy hill. John writes, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. There He is. There's the Lamb. The Son of God. The One who has given His life for you There he is on the holy hill, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, this is Hebrew apocalyptic literature. What it means is that here stands the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, the conqueror of Zion's hill. Here he is, the solution to every problem, and surrounding Him are all those that belong to Him under the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. All of God's people. There they are, free from any stress and strains on that holy hill with the Son of David. And so David cries out. And we cry out too. Verses 5 through 8. I lay down and slept. I woke again. For the Lord, notice this, sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So this is a psalm of lament. I've told you that there are different types of psalms. Psalm 3 is a lament. It is a complaint that is made to the Lord asking Him to act on behalf of His people. And so David is crying out to the Lord because his son is seeking to destroy him. And he says in verse 8, Break the teeth of the wicked. Now, what, what do we do with that? Are we supposed to pray and ask God to punch our enemies in their mouth and break all their teeth? Well, you have to understand the nature of the psalm. It is a complaint whereby David is asking God to act on his behalf in defense of his holy name. And so, break the teeth is an expression that actually comes out of the ancient Middle East and it comes out of court language. And they would say this meaning if someone breaks the legal oath that they have taken a vow 
to uphold, then they should be punished for their covenant disobedience. And so break the teeth is an expression that is used. Now this is not unfamiliar to us in modern day terminology. We did this on the playground. Right? Stick a needle in my eye. Right. Did we really run around sticking needles in our friends' eyes on the playground in elementary school when they didn't keep a secret? No. It was language that we use to say, this is a really important covenant that we are making. I'm telling you a secret, you need to keep it. And so in the ancient Middle East, this is an important document. There will be ramifications. There will be punishment if you break the covenant. And so what David is saying is, Lord, punish those who have been disobedient to you and to your word. Rescue me, save me, uphold the honor of your name. That is a legitimate thing for God's people to pray. Protect us, be with us, uphold the honor of your name. Because you are holy and you are supreme. And you are God. Notice in verse 5, David asked the Lord to sustain him, to help him. That's who our God is, is the one who lifts up our head, as the one who shields us, the glorious one. We can ask him as his beloved children in times of difficulty, in times of struggle, when The problems seem too deep for us to navigate. We can call out to Him and we can say, Sustain me during this time, Lord. Sustain me. Be with me. Walk alongside of me. That's who our God is. That is what He has done for us. And then notice in verse 8, Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is an important thing to understand as those who belong to the Reformed tradition. We kick against the idea that we can save ourselves. We we do not believe that salvation is something that we earn by being really good, by being really obedient. We believe according to God's word that we are fallen and that we are sinful and we are rebellious and because we're dead in our sin, we can't unearn God's pleasure. We can't We can't please Him. We can't be good enough to save ourselves. If we were good enough to redeem our sinful natures, then what is the point of Christ coming to the cross and giving His life? He had to do it all. He came for us because salvation belongs to the Lord. Because this belongs to me, I need you to go and I need you to obey perfectly and I need you to give your life and I need you to redeem them, to save them, to love them, to rescue them, to restore them. So it is no small thing in verse 8 when David says salvation belongs to the Lord. We say amen. Because I would be lost if it did not. I need a loving and holy and perfect God to pursue me and save me all day long. 
It reminds me as I think about what David is saying in verses 5-8 through of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, as we close, look at chapter 1, verses 4-9. through I think Paul is echoing King David here, in some sense. He says, beginning with verse 4 of chapter 1, I give thanks to my God always. For because of the grace of God that was given in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. He's speaking to the church in Corinth. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Notice this. The Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. David is saying, God will sustain you. Salvation comes from Him. He loves you. He is your God. He will protect you from your enemies. And then we hear this echoed in 1 Corinthians 1 where Paul says the Lord Jesus will sustain you. God is faithful. Salvation comes from Him. And you were called into fellowship with His Son Jesus Christ our Lord. The theme is there in the old. The theme is there in the new. Trouble can drown you. The anxieties and the difficulties of this life, of being a husband, of being a mother, of being a father, of being a businessman or a businesswoman, of being a parent, of being a child, is so troubling, it's so difficult, you will feel like you are drowning. King David and Paul are telling us Trinity. He is there, he loves you, he has redeemed you, he has sent his son for you, he gave his life for you on that holy hill, Call out to Him and He will sustain you to the end. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You that You love us deeply and that Your love for us is unfailing. Father, we are thankful that You remind us in Your Word that You are our shield, that You are the glorious one, and that You lift up our heads, You sustain us, and You will be with us to the end, and our enemies shall never overcome us. It's in Your Son's name we pray.